This is the Narrative Shift Podcast, where we talk about faith, justice, race, and everything in between. Hey, I'm Terrence Lester. And I'm Johnny Taylor. And uh, thanks for tuning in. What is up, everybody? You are listening to Narrative Shift. And today on this episode, we are going to be going through some of the content in the first chapter of Terrence Lester's new book, I See You. The introduction is titled Searching for Home. So all of the the subject matters today will kind of relate to that topic. And we're going to start off uh, with kind of the first subject matter today, which is why is it important to own your story? Yeah. Terrence, if you want to kind of hit us off with that. Yeah, man. Um, Just thank you for even, you know, wanting to uh, use the book as content that we go through you know, <laughs> for all of the episodes. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, writing the content because it is great stuff. Yeah, man. Um, I, th- I think even when thinking about, uh, you know, who controls the narrative, we, we first have to define what a narrative is. Mm-hmm. And, and basically a, a narrative can be defined as storytelling. Uh, it's something that's either true or imaginary. Um, would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think the the narrative is whatever is basically information. Essentially, it's what yeah. you know. Our minds typically work in narrative and stories, so it's whatever really your mind is telling you. Yeah, That's I mean, how it's processing <laughs> that information, right? Whether it's something that is real or something that you, your unconscious has constructed to fill in that information gap about something. Yeah, for sure, man. And, and we do it even in our personal lives, right? Yeah, <laughs> we're worried about something. Of course, yeah. You know, you ever worried about something and you create this narrative right. in your mind <laughs> about, uh, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of this and many people may be too. Like mm-hmm. I sometimes create, you know, the, the worst narrative <laughs> ever. Right. I think it's almost human nature. I mean, we're trying to fill in, like we don't like a, a gap in information. So we... Yeah fill that in with something whether it's real or imagined yeah yeah but when we think about narrative as it relates to uh, people specifically living on the margins of society uh, we have to talk about the dominant narrative yeah and, and basically what I mean by dominant narrative is I always start with this question who controls the narrative? of those who are experiencing homelessness or poverty or any type of injustices in this world. And, and to define dominant narrative, uh, the dominant narrative can literally be uh, described as like this lens through which you view history, um, through, vi- through which you dr- view aspects of life or uh, politics or like uh, uh, different groups or activities. And so uh, dominant narrative is, is normally – the kind of like the norm narrative that uh, everybody adheres to in society and culture. And and my thing is uh, we have this dominant narrative, but you know, who has like authored or kind of like controlled the dominant narrative. Yeah, that's good. So it's kind of like almost like the, the mainstream story, I guess you'd call it or the, uh, I know there's a Ted talk called the power of a second story. One of my favorite Ted talks. I can't remember who it's by at the moment, but we can put that in the show notes. I would definitely recommend everybody listen to it and watch it. But she's talking about how, um, specifically men in Africa are often depicted in movies and media as kind of like 
warlords and mm. uh, stuff like that. Like they're these tyrants and uh, that is not the case. And she's talking about how powerful it is to have a second story Wow, that they themselves um, can control. Yeah. How powerful that is. Yeah, it's almost like the uh, the myths and facts, right? Right. Like even, uh, you know, in the book, I talk a lot about um, uh, kind of like the, the stories that we tell ourselves about people who are poor or, or experiencing homelessness. And like, I, I just pulled up this myth right here. Like, uh, here's a myth. There aren't any homeless people in my community. Hmm. <laughs> um, when in fact uh, the hidden homeless population is hard to identify and impossible to see uh, these persons may have somewhere to sleep but it may not be consistent it's usually not saved and it's often a trade off for something in return it's estimated that uh, the hidden ho- homeless population consists of more women than men or how about the one where um, I kind of talk about uh, you know, homelessness will never happen to me. <laughs> right. Yeah, Cause like there's this, there's this weird uh, way in which people carry themselves uh, even in how they deal with and treat other people. Like uh, people have these false narratives or misconceptions about how, pe- how people experience homelessness all arrive there. Like we put people in buckets and then label them and we only label them to discard them. Like, but this myth of homelessness can never happen to me. Like there's a report right now that says there are some 44% of Americans that couldn't even cover like a $400 emergency emergency expense. Yeah. I mean, I would struggle if that (laughs) happened to me. Right, man. I mean, and when you think about it, like the, the numbers are like staggering too. Like when you even think about how one in three Americans are literally living one paycheck away. Yeah, one paycheck away from homelessness. Yeah, from homelessness. Yeah. And so, but my question is, like, why do we continue to uh, hold these, like, false narratives about people who are living on the streets? Yeah, I don't know. Um, Well, I mean, I know it's because we're not listening to Mm. the actual narratives, which brings me to another point uh, with that if we are constructing these own narratives that we are uh, informing ourselves with. Yeah. Um, but in reality, the narrative is probably different. Their story is probably different than the ones we're telling ourselves. Mm. Why is it important who controls the narrative? Yeah. I, I mean, so I, I think like you, like you have right here, man, uh, personal ownership of one story can, can empower you. Yeah. And I think, like even with my own personal story, like I had a mentor um, that literally empowered me uh, and he didn't really hold like any false narratives about me. He asked me my story and then showed me the ways in which my story could empower me to overcome it. I mean, when you think about it, uh, you know, judging somebody (laughs) or like, you know, uh, creating this false narrative about them distances you from that person. Um, but when we talk about people who are experiencing homelessness and poverty, these are actual people Yeah, with backgrounds, their sisters, their brothers, their cousins, their aunts, their grandmothers and grandfathers. And sometimes like if we don't get a chance to sit down and listen to somebody else's story, 
Um, we strip them of their dignity, but we also dismiss them. Would you say? Yeah. Yeah. And I think we could ask ourselves even mm-hmm. broad in general, we want control of our own narratives, don't we? Yeah. We want, mm-hmm. that's good. We want to choose how people see us. Right. Like, I mean, do you not like, <laughs> yeah, people work hard on yeah, it. Like, like, even if we look at social media, oh, yeah. I mean, just think of Instagram, these Instagram influencers, Wow. Where yeah. they have so much power over their own narrative and mm-hmm. they carefully construct, even in like genius ways, like with branding and all this stuff, all yeah. this thought and energy and work that goes into it to create a platform where they control how the world sees them. Yeah. Like nothing goes on there that they don't want. Right. And and we even have to, to wrestle with why does one even want a platform? Right. Because there's power there, there's acceptance there, there's belonging there, you know, uh, there's the ability to be seen when you have platform. Right. But yet we sometimes strip other people right. who don't have resources or the ability to, you know, empower themselves of their own narrative. Mm-hmm. But just imagine this. What if someone made an Instagram account about your life, but you had no control over it. You didn't have the, you don't have the username, <laughs> right. you don't have the password, you don't get to choose what pictures go onto it. Oh, wow. And it's just someone else choosing what they want to show about you. <laughs> right. And that's almost what we're doing. When that would be scary with, for some yeah, people. I know it would be scary. Yeah, but that's, in reality, if you think about it, when we don't ask people mm. and let them control their own narrative, let them own that, that's almost what we're doing. Yeah. Like when we... Mm are walking down the street and we see somebody going struggling through homelessness or poverty in general. That's what we're doing. We're, I mean, you know, taking a picture. Oh, this is who they are instead of letting them control that. Yeah. And what's interesting, man, like I've seen people in the work that we do, like have those false narratives. And the one thing that like destroys all of that and gives people a totally different perspective is proximity. Yeah. Like, because, you know, you can't hate somebody up close. Right. If you truly get a chance to know them, uh, know their story, uh, at the end of the day, you really find out how much in common you really have with somebody. Yeah. 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 I love what you say about proximity because that is so true. You cannot hate somebody up close unless you're working so hard to Mm -hmm. deconstruct reality and the narratives that are actually going on and replacing those with false narratives in your mind like you have to try extremely hard to do that yeah you have to literally dehumanize people and actively hate someone yeah and (laughs) you know it i mean if you are operating from that type of space that you have that much hate then I, i really have to ask the question uh do you love yourself do you love god um you know, how, how are you receiving yourself? Because oftentimes when people are wrestling with that tension of giving someone something else like compassion. Yeah. Uh, obviously I've seen most times that they, they, they've never received compassion for themselves or, yeah. or they don't have compassion for themselves. Yeah. yeah. They don't even value their own life. Mm-hmm. So why would they attribute value to somebody else's life? Right. It's yeah. Good. Yeah, but, you know, uh, even, like, just thinking about uh, relationships, right? I I think one of the most important things that adds value and kind of deconstructs the narrative is is community. Would you say that? 
I I would agree with that. Yeah. 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 I talk about this story um, in the book. Uh, I had this friend named Jeremy. Uh, shout out to Jeremy, man, if you, you ever listen to this. But I was going through a uh, pretty difficult time uh, in my family, and I left home. I'm in high school, probably 16 and a half years old, uh, closer to 17 years old. And I, I kind of like leave home. I run away from home, and I'm living uh, out of the trunk of my car. I remember packing my entire trunk up with, you know, my clothes and um, my shoes and, you know, the things that I would need for school. And I would sleep at parks. I would sleep at, you know, from friend's house to friend ho- friend's house. And, you know, it was just really taxing on me because all, although I was, you know, uh, going through all of these situations, I, I, I still had to get up and go to school. And it was hard to, like, stay up in class and, I mean, the whole nine. And so I remember my friend Jeremy, I had gone – to him and I was I was just like man I, I just uh, need somewhere to stay and um, you know he, he stuck his neck out on the line man he went and asked his mom uh, if I could stay there for a while um, and she allowed me to to do do so and I remember grabbing the garbage bags out of the trunk of my car and uh, bringing them into his house and how I had literally no energy or motivation to get up and go to school because I was dealing so much with so much pressure from like my home life and not understanding. Um, and in a real sense, I was experiencing like, um, acute homelessness in the sense. And uh, I remember my friend, Jeremy, man, he would get off work cause he worked overnight. He would get home early in the morning and he would literally push me like, get up, get on some clothes. Like you got to go to school. You got to finish this. And like every single day. And, um, He's one of the reasons why I was able to uh, finish high school, man. And it wow. was the community with him, bro, um, uh, that gave me kind of like the empowerment when I didn't have the the, the, the strength within myself to go. And I, I think God placed him in my life for that. Yeah. What do you? Th- where do you think you would be today if it weren't for Jeremy stepping in? Man, I, I <sighs> lost, man. And I don't – I mean – in so many ways, I mean, I know we talk about lostness in a in a spiritual sense. If you are like a believer, but like, you know, um, I probably wouldn't have finished high school. I probably would have uh, not found the strength within myself to uh, believe enough that I could do it. Um, it. It was just like critical relationships, man. And I think, you know, relational poverty is you know, a real damaging factor to many people who live on the streets as well. Yeah. Um, people just not having that social capital. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have safety nets in place in, in, the, in the form of relationships, it, it can really, I mean, you could slip through the cracks, man. Yeah. You, you just brought up a term that I would like to go into a little bit. Uh, yeah. What, can you give us like a working definition for social capital? Because I feel like that's something a lot of people probably won't hear about and might not think of yeah so uh you we all know what capital is we you know like kind of correlate capital to being equaling uh money right or some type of wealth well uh social capital uh is the wealth of relationships like i normally ask the people um 
or people who are volunteering with us, if, if something was to happen to you, like if you were to get a flat tire or some, you know, disastrous thing happened, who could you pick up your cell phone and call for help? Um, when you are living in social isolation, maybe without a home or, you know, with any, uh, you know, viable relationships, then you are at a social deficit meaning you don't have any connectivity to people that can help you through the challenges of life in which we all need. Uh, even when we look at the wellness wheel, man, like, uh, you know, you think about emotional, spiritual, uh, physical, environmental, occupational, all of these areas that you have to kind of like have normalized to be a well person. Mm -hmm. Well, if you are lacking in the social area, um, then you kind of, you're kind of out there in isolation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even in my own life, I think yeah. I can go back and look and see that every every job I've ever had, every opportunity I've ever had wow. has been because I've known somebody. Wow. Like I've known somebody in a position of power mm. that could help me achieve that. And yeah. without those opportunities, I would have been stuck where I was. Yeah. You know what that says to me, though, man? It's like uh, I think somebody had sent something to me in, in, a, in a DM they, they basically said opportunities happen in community. Yeah. And I think one thing that is one big phrase that's kind of going around in the entrepreneurial uh, circles these days is who we know is more important than what you know. Mm. I think that's such a huge truth because, yeah, I mean, I know people with all kinds of degrees, but they don't have opportunities to use those because they didn't, they don't have the right connections to the people in power who can, Allow them to use those, if that makes sense. Bro, I mean, it's <laughs> the very fact that we're sitting here talking through content um, that is in my book. How, how did you get a book? You know, how, right. how do you meet a publisher? How do you, you know, even think about going down a path where you could, you know, formulate words? And, and I know there are different paths where you can, you know, self-publish and all that stuff. But like all of those things happen through relationships. And, and so I've been very fortunate, but I, I think in the back of my mind, like, you know, when sometimes we're, we're serving, like if people aren't exposed to relationships and we can use the word exposure, um, then sometimes they uh, don't have as much access is, is what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Because I mean, I know you, you, you'll hear a lot about like the music industry and the film industry. People say, oh, it's all about, it's all about who you know. Um, but that's reality for any industry, actually. It's yeah. no matter where, I mean, unless you're like working like a minimum wage job. Yeah. It's about who you know. Yeah. That's how you move up any kind of ladder is yeah. who you know. And a lot of the times, I mean, you think, people experiencing poverty don't have access mm. to people in power. Yeah. Wow. And a lot of times it's because of their circumstances, how they, how they may look, how they may, yeah, you know, the aesthetics of them, how they, uh, or how they may speak or yeah. Dynamics. Yeah. And, and even like, as we think about the, the, the term of power, um, let's also wrestle with uh, just like inner strength to be able to give uh, encouragement yeah, or insight or wisdom or uh, kind of like advice. 
Um, when you are wrestling with, uh, you know, impoverishment physically and immaterially, like uh, sometimes you just need people in your life to, to empower you in, in the form of oh, words. Yeah. yeah, I know. There's a, another great, great quote um, mm-hmm. I heard a few weeks ago. It's, it says, uh, you become the conversations you hear around you. Whoa. Say that again, man. You become the conversations you hear around you. People become the conversations they hear around themselves. Wow. And I think that's been true in my life when people pour into me and say, hey, I see you becoming as a leader. And, wow. Uh, you know, you have worth and value and the power to change people and the world. That is who I start to become. Like, I'm no wow. longer moping around, not doing anything with my life. Like, I'm thinking, okay, yeah. This yeah. is who I'm becoming. Yeah, that's good. I, I heard a, um, a similar quote, uh, you become what you behold. You become what you behold. Mm-hmm. And so I want you to imagine this. Uh, you grow up in you know, a community with blocks and blocks of concentrated poverty. Um, everyone around you has not you know, really fully reached their human potential and uh what you're beholding in essence is what you're becoming right and so what helps to break that and become an anomaly is when you are exposed like you're saying yeah to these different conversations Uh uh-huh just sometimes being in close proximity with people who have become uh more And what you've been exposed to in your life, oh yeah, stretches you, man. Yeah, yeah, just being in close proximity. And I always think back to to like high school when you know your parents would say, <laughs> "Hey, make sure your friends like who you're around is who you're going to become." And mm-hmm. as I'm getting older, like I realize that is so true. Wow, like there in my own life, there are relationships I've had to cut off because I'm like, I I want to go somewhere different than where you're going. Right. So I'm going to have to, I know it sucks and I still love you, but right. I'm not going to hang around you as much because I want to become something better than I am now. Wow. Yeah. It's tough, but that also goes back to the importance of, hey, making sure you're being in proximity with people who mm-hmm. are speaking life over you Yeah. and showing you, Bob Goff always says, uh, tell people who they're becoming. Oh yeah, I like you old got, Bob yeah, Goff. I mean, you, Shout out to Bob Goff. Right. Old Bob Goff. But you gotta I mean that's so true. Like you gotta find somebody mm. who is speaking into what you're becoming, not what you've done or who you are, but what you're gonna be. That's true, man. And think of how many people who are living on the streets who would not be there today if they had have had that relationship in their life where someone was actively pouring into them and mentoring them and teaching them and showing them what they can become not uh, defining them as how their surroundings would or defining them as they would define their parents or their past. Yeah. Yeah. I I love this quote by mother Teresa, man. Uh, She says loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. Mm, Come on. Uh, I think that's a great uh, transition to move in to our next subject, which is the human need and the importance of belonging. Oh, wow. Yeah. I want to read a quote by Erwin McManus, which I love some Erwin. Um, But he says, home is ultimately 
not about a place to live, but about the people with whom you are most fully alive. Mm. Home is about love, relationship, community, and belonging. And we are all searching for home. Wow. And that's, that's even, so that's true. the title of uh, your uh, introduction is Searching for Home. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think we, we all are in, in many ways. I mean, there are people right now, uh, you know, searching to... Uh, gain acceptance into a school or a social group. Uh, there are people still fighting and wrestling to be accepted by family members yeah. uh, and, and, and friendships. And, and so, like, uh, I think this searching for home equates to us searching for this place where we are fully accepted, um, where we can belong and be our full, authentic selves. And, mm. and sometimes it's hard uh, to find those safe spaces, man. Yeah, and I would actually like to read another quote uh, yeah. by Jean Venier, who sadly passed away a, a few months ago. Oh, wow. But he says, each person with his or her history of being accepted or rejected, with his or her past history of inner pain and difficulties in relationships is different. Mm. But in each one, there's a yearning for communion and belonging, but at the same time, a fear of it. Mm. Love is what we most want, yet it is what we fear the most. Wow. Wow, that's deep, man. Yeah. Why? Why do you think we uh, we have so much fear for the thing that we want? Man, I think uh, one reason we fear community and relationships is because when you're by yourself, there's no accountability for change. When you're with mm-hmm. other people, there are hurts and pains you have to face, and there are also dreams you have to share and uh, failures you have to own up to. Mm. And I think that's, I mean, in a lot of ways I'm, I'm fearful of intimacy Yeah, because I think back to pain I've experienced and, you know, like no one wants to go through that again and no one wants to talk about it to heal over it. Right. As well. Yeah, man. Um, it's, it's hard, man. Cause you know, like it reminds me of what you were saying earlier about like, just imagine if someone controls your life and like right. put out posts where people could see parts of you that you would probably want to just remain hidden because sometimes, you know, you enter into relationships and they're just not right for you and people end up using uh, your vulnerable information oh, yeah. against you. Yeah. And, and so I think, you know, the thing that we want most we fear because we fear being hurt. Yeah, we fear the unknown Yeah, we as fear. well. We don't know how this is going to end up, so we're a little bit afraid, and that's normal and natural. Mm. But we need it, though. Yeah. yeah. I, I love this quote that you have. Uh, uh, we are able to feel some of the lack of belonging uh, we feel by living in community with others. Yeah, so I believe that we are designed to be in community. Um, mm. God himself is in communion with himself, The you know, the Godhead, the Trinity, constantly in communion with himself and i believe originally that back in the garden we were in communion with god Mm. and with a fellow man Um, but at the fall we were separated from god Mm. Um, so we're constantly searching for that communion again that belonging that we found Mm. with god so we're constantly searching for that as humans and the way that we can fill it on earth um, kind of in part is through community with others. Mm. And I think 
we won't ever have that full communion again until you know we die and we're reunited with Jesus if you're a believer. Um, but I think the way we can fill the void for now is each other, and I think that's the yeah. way that God has set it up. Is you know He talks about the importance of the church and the importance of you know two or uh, where two or more gathered is is He will be there. Yeah. Yeah, so. which which means that we have to, in many ways, take a step towards opening up. Yeah, which is hard, but it's necessary. It's it's necessary to, you know, um, forge and build strong bonds with people, uh, where you can be surrounded around people who care for you. Yeah. Even when you're in your weakest state. Um, we were just talking earlier. I was in a meeting um, and we were talking about the importance of, of just like being vulnerable and being able to ask people for help or support. Um, and it's not necessarily a sign of weakness. Uh, it's a it's actually a, a demarcation of strength. Yeah. It's a sign of being human. I yeah. mean, <laughs> there's nobody who can. Right. I mean, even. Jesus, when he was carrying the cross, needed help. That's right to carry it. Yeah, you know, like yeah. if if we can't ask for help, like what? I mean, like <laughs> Jesus needed help. Like, right. <laughs> I mean, who are we? Like, are we better than that? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard, man, and and you know, but believe it or not, people wrestle with this every single day, man. Um, you know, I, I just always try to encourage people not to see uh, new people that enter into their lives through the, the lenses of past hurts and yeah. failures and uh, brokenness because you could end up missing out on, you know, a, a new community, a new relationship. Someone could, uh, like, help you and propel you forward uh, because you're still wrestling with um some old traumas, which are very real and true. Uh, but I would say don't uh, think pervasively about it. Yeah. Don't, don't lump everybody in the same category. Right. You got to believe the best about people yeah. that, hey, you might have been hurt. Yeah. And you might, that might be the controlling narrative of your life is every time you get hurt. But you still got to enter into a new relationship without carrying that baggage. You mm. got to say, this is a new person. I believe the best about them. Yeah. I believe that everything's going to be fine and there's going to be more healing than hurt in this relationship. Yeah. Man, you're talking about forgiveness now, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would just say if you're listening to this and uh, you've made it to this point in, in the uh, show, uh, or this episode, man, if you have been wrestling, man, uh, maybe forgiveness may be the way for you. Yeah. I, I would even say, uh, after you're done listening to this, reach out to somebody you need to forgive. Mm. I forget where I, he- where I heard it, but um, someone said, like, bitterness is like, or hatred against someone, unforgiveness is like swallowing poison and expecting the other person to die. Oh, yeah. Like, you got to... Yeah. You got to forgive. Right. You got to repair. Yeah. Yeah, cuz forgiveness essentially is more for you. Yeah. Your own freedom. If you want to be healthy, you got to move forward, move past that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um but going back to community, I feel like 
oftentimes people experiencing homelessness are excluded from most communities. It's almost like they are viewed as second-rate humans. And like they don't have, they're not allowed into our social spaces and our communities. They're always kind of viewed as this outsider, even Mm -hmm. if they used Mm -hmm. to belong in our society, even if they used to be a pillar of our society. Yeah. Yeah. No longer allowed. They're rejected. They're ostracized. Yeah. Which, I mean, that goes into the whole thing of like how we, you know, uh, I guess, feel like who's deserving and who's not deserving of being accepted. And, you know, I think there, that there's no grace in that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one thing that has bothered me, uh, in through my life in the church is mm. seeing people, how people are, who are poor are viewed when they come in, you, you know, you, I, I can't think of many churches where I've been to where they are, Mm. Uh, diverse when it comes to class, social class. Oh, yeah. Like you don't often see people who are struggling with homelessness in a church setting with people who are not struggling at all and they have a lot of excess. Yeah. It's typically like you'll see, you know, like how you have like a black church and a white church. Well, yeah. you almost have like a, a poor church and then maybe mm. a middle class church and then yeah. maybe even a uh, rich up, church. Uh, yeah, yeah, rich church. Uh, sometimes, upper- you know, the the middle class and the upper class will kind of bleed onto each other, but you don't often see poor people finding belonging in most churches, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, and like the interesting thing about that is that we're all invited to the Lord's table right? Yeah, and everyone is welcome. Yeah. But that isn't always fleshed out in how we see communities form um, in the sacred space. Hmm. And I think even as we think about this idea of belonging, what is, what does that look like? Like, I I feel like when you belong somewhere, you're not just, um, listened to or or tolerate it. Yeah. You're not just there, but you're listened for, like people are listening for your voice. They're looking for you. They're like, Hey, this piece is missing. Like, where is, where where is Terrence? You know, yeah, yeah. Terrence belongs here. He's not here. Where is he? Right. Where where's John? And, and you know, I I read something very interesting um, because most people operate from this idea that all are welcome. <laughs> yeah. And, and the latter part of what I was reading, it, it was saying that we need to move away from the all are welcome philosophy to a philosophy that says this was intentionally designed for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's that good. There's intentionality. There's purpose right. behind it. Uh, there's acceptance and belonging behind that. Because when I intentionally design a community and an environment for you, it shows. Mm-hmm. But if I operate from a place of like all are welcome, then maybe in the back of that, I don't really mean right. everybody. Right. <laughs> you're welcome. Everyone who's like us is welcome. Yeah. If you're not, you're going to kind of feel a tad bit uncomfortable. You can right. come, right. but we want you to to look and act like us eventually. Yeah, we got to get away from that. Man. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I've gone to church with a few people who are experiencing homelessness, and 
you typically, I've seen two kind of reactions uh, from fellow churchgoers. It's either like people are kind of looking, like, what are they doing here? Mm. Like, yeah, why is this, why is this guy here? Yeah. And then the other half are kind of like, oh, it's a homeless person. Like, then they see him as like a mission. Like, oh, I'm gonna go pray with this yeah. guy. I'm gonna go, which is really yeah. weird. It Bro, is. I, I never forget. I was um, I was asked to speak somewhere and. It was a uh, predominantly upper middle class uh, type deal, and I walk in. I'm the minority, and, <laughs> and I always kind of like try to sit off to the back or whatever. And so, you know, people were like kind of looking at me weird, treat me weird. And this lady came over, uh, you know, with like hidden motives behind her niceness, and just kind of like trying to see are you, do you belong here? <laughs> right. Right. And so I said, yeah, I'm just trying to find a seat. She had no idea that I was a keynote. <laughs> and then they go through this list of read my bio and then they call me up. And I'll never forget walking on the stage and looking at her in her face and she, her jaws like <laughs> dropped. She like had egg on her face and I was talking about compassion. <laughs> oh man. So I put a little extra sauce, but man, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> On the on the compassion part, but you know I've been in situations just like you, bro. Like where, you know, you just walk in some places and you feel out of place, and I think we need to change that. Yeah, it's like you walk in and you're either shunned or you're mm. like people made are to like, feel yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, like you're overly like they pay more attention to you than they should. Right, like you're not like, like you're a unicorn. Right, like why like. <laughs> This guy could be struggling, like, he could be cheating on his wife. Why don't you go pray for him? <laughs> right, you know, right, like, exactly. I'm just, I'm just, like, I don't have a lot of money right now. <laughs> right. Like, but I'm good, though. Like, those mm. people need prayer, too. Yeah. But it's almost like this, like you said, this, it's always this discomfort. That is the universal feeling, typically, is right. whether it's this extreme or that extreme, they're still feeling discomfort, and it's not like you're just a normal churchgoer. It's like you're either unwelcome or you're made into a mission. Yeah. Which which kind of leads us to this idea as we um move on, move along to like how do we define worth in yeah. our country, right? Uh most times we are defining worth based on like you know what you own, who you associate with, you know, what club you go to, where you live, um you know, what school did you go to? Uh, how much money mm-hmm. in your bank account, all of these external things. And so when we start there, if you don't have those things, then somehow you are made to feel like you're unworthy. Yeah. And, um, but when we look at the Bible, right. And we, we think about real worth and value, dignity is inherent because we're yeah. all made in the image of God. Image of God and so yeah. Like um, when we talk about that, we have to, to ask ourselves, like, how are we defining um, worth as it relates to other people? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's great. I think that'd be a good place to kind of move forward. And let's just talk about poverty in general. And I kind of want to give, like, I guess, like surface level quick definitions of different types of poverty because we will be going, like, super in-depth on this subject next week on the next episode. So if we just want to go over it like real quick, like what is poverty, who's going through it and what the Bible tells about it. 
and I kind of want us to define like four different uh, types of poverty that we'll probably be talking about a good bit over okay. this podcast. Yeah. So like, you know, like the physical uh, poverty where you're, you have a lack of resources, um, like you, which is typically like what someone who's homeless would be experiencing. Yeah. But then we also have this, uh, uh, like the social poverty, yeah. um, which we talked about a little earlier with social capital. We don't have healthy relationships or, uh, friendships or yeah. we, we don't have an abundance of them. We don't have enough. And then I think there's also, um, a spiritual co- poverty we can experience, yeah. which mm-hmm. is, you know, we lack this closeness to God. We are far from God yeah. and we are spiritually impoverished. And then I think there's also, and this will probably be one we talk about the least, but an, an emotional poverty yeah. where mm. you kind of, you have like this lack of balancing emotions, if that makes sense. So yeah. like you feel an extreme amount of anger without that balance of joy. Yeah. Um, you feel an anxiety ab- or yeah, depression. an abundance yeah. of, uh, sadness without mm-hmm. the joy or, um, an abundance of, hum- uh, pride without that humility. Yeah. So, and any, just a lack of one of those through extended periods of time. Um, yeah. And maybe you want to talk a little bit about different, uh, groups of people who go through these different types of poverty. Yeah, and that's the thing. So, I I basically like reduce the definition uh, of poverty to you know kind of like poverty is just a lack of access. Yeah, which makes it tangible for all. Um, uh, you can be like you said, someone who is going to church, and you can be impoverished in your marriage. Yeah, uh, you can uh, go to church and be a part of a middle class community and and be impoverished emotionally because you don't have access to that that joy that you're longing mm-hmm. for, or you could be someone who is like literally sleeping behind a building and you have a lack of access to running water to take a shower yeah. or a lack of access to heat and it's winter, right? Um, I just define it as a, a lack of access. Um, and, and that's kind of just like the, the physical aspects or some of like mm-hmm. the, the more tangible aspects that we can easily identify. But then I also talk about like this spiritual uh, poverty that is immaterial. Yeah. Um, it's this, this impoverishment where um, we can literally – do nothing apart from uh, being in a close relationship with God uh, because there are things that you experience uh, throughout this life that, uh, you know, you can't rationalize yourself out of it. Oh, yeah. You can't uh, muscle yourself out of it. Uh, there's a spiritual dynamic in which um, only God can feel that spiritual board. Yeah, and just think about some of the things that happen in life that really none of these other things can can solve like if someone you love dies yeah no matter how much money you have it's not gonna fix that uh no matter how many friends you have it's there's still gonna be that pain yeah and no matter what emotions you're experiencing even if you kind of feel a little bit happy but there's still that sinking void that only god can really fix and heal in you yeah there's so much you go through in life that money and friends and 
positive feelings can't change, but God can. Yeah, and um, man, I, I, that's why I love the text uh, because it's filled with such rich uh, and and powerful words that give us good news and hope. And uh, yeah. you have you have some scriptures. Yeah. So this share. is probably gonna be one of my favorite parts because yeah. we're literally just gonna go over. Uh, almost do like a Bible study. <laughs> this is the Bible study segment of the show. Um, <laughs> but the first verse I wanted to, or verses I wanted to talk about um, are Isaiah 61, uh, chapter 61, verse 1 and 2. I'm just going to read it, and this is from the voice translation. It says, The Spirit of the Lord, the Eternal, is on me. The Lord has appointed me for a special purpose. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to repair broken hearts and declare to those who are held captive and bound in prison, be free from your imprisonment. He has sent me to announce the year Jubilee, the season of the eternal's favor. For our enemies, it will be a day of God's wrath. For those who mourn, it will be a time of comfort. Mm. And I think that verse even kind of touches on some of those different types of poverties that we talked about. Yeah. Um, you know, for instance, he uses the language uh, "repair broken hearts," which is yeah, like emotional uh, yeah. poverty, and declare to those who are held in captive and bound in prison, um, "be free," which just relates to you know relational like, poverty. Yeah, like, or if like, you don't have friends, you're not going to survive in prison, right? You know? Or like having some type of pressure, yeah, lifted lift off any kind of oppression, yeah, lifted off of you, mm-hmm. and then even the language of like good news to the poor, which is kind of like ironic of like, how do you receive good news when you're in a state of lack? Mm. Um, um, But, uh, you know, there's this, there's this like message that good news can happen apart from uh, where you are physically. Apart from your circumstances. Yes. Apart from your circumstances. Yeah. That's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And I, I, I love the language too man that um it almost uh feels like in this in this these passages that anybody has access to it like if you've been in any type of oppressed state or you've felt poor in some way or you felt captive or bound that there is something good uh, Mm. that's coming yeah and even the part where it says he sent me to announce the year jubilee which was um you know, every seven years, all debts would be resolved, all um, slaves would be released, like it was the season of favor, like any any wrongdoings, anything was wiped away, mm. and you basically get to start over, and wow, man, think about that, like, we've been sent to erase people's past, you know? Wow. To, for them to enter into God's favor, and um, I think of the story of the prodigal son, uh, one of my favorite lines is in that is uh, the prodigal son has decided to come back, mm. and it says the father was out there waiting for him, looking for him, yeah. and when he was a long way off, he ran to him. Yeah. And, man, I think so many times we are often, uh, we define ourselves as like the prodigal son or as the older son, but we're called to become like the father. That's what the story is for is a calling for us to become like the father, to see people who are a long way off and to run to them. Yeah. Which is powerful too, because even in this culture, in the context of that passage, he he made himself undignified to do that. 
Yeah. Um, because the love was that powerful. Mm-hmm. And I love, I mean, like, just think about this image. Like, the father is out there waiting. Like, he wasn't, he didn't know that the son would come back. Mm. He was just out there, I imagine, every day looking off into the distance, just waiting. Like, man, yeah. I hope my son comes back. And when he, when I see him on the horizon, I'm going to run to him. Yeah. I think that's just such powerful imagery of what we're supposed to be as Christians. We're supposed to be looking out for those who are far. Yeah, which is one of the reasons why we do what we do, man. Um, taking literally love beyond walls and and seeking those who we could run towards and, and share that good news with mm. that you're accepted, that you belong, yeah. that God loves you, mm. um, that uh, you're welcome. Yeah, and yeah. that just expresses such a great image of belonging, really. Like, you're missing and you're being looked for because you belong here. Yeah. Uh, next scripture I have is Luke six twenty through 22, and it reads, He looked across the faces of his disciples, and Jesus said, All you who are poor, you are blessed, for the kingdom of God belongs to you. All you who are hungry now, you are blessed. For your hunger will be satisfied. All you who weep now, you are blessed, for you shall laugh. When people hate you, when they exclude you and, and insult you, and write you off as evil on account of the Son of Man, you are blessed. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's powerful. Yeah. I think that <laughs> that literally needs no commentary. It really I mean, doesn't. We, we could just read over. Right. Um, you're blessed. Yeah, you're, you're blessed when you're hungry, mm-hmm. um, uh, when you weep. Uh, when people hate you, mm, exclude when, you, yeah, That's insult powerful. you, write you off as evil, mm. I think we we've all in some way have have felt all of those raw emotions. Yeah, in some form or fashion. But what is often like our responses to any of those situations? Like, yeah, I mean, I remember last time I was hungry, uh, which wasn't like an extreme hunger. Were you hungry? It was just like, yeah, I was, you know, I was a little hungry. <laughs> Hangry, um, Hangry. but it wasn't, I mean, like extreme. It was like, oh man, I haven't eaten lunch yet. I yeah. better go get some lunch. And I was like, yeah, I'm thinking like I will be blessed because I'm about to get <laughs> some, some Chick-fil-A. Right. <laughs> but imagine yeah. this long suffering, this, yeah. you've been hungry for who knows how long. Yeah. And thinking of yourself as blessed because I know God's going to come yeah. through. Or even thinking about being hated, man. Hmm. Right. You know, uh, like you don't get enough likes on Instagram. Right. Or having people talk about you or, like, exclude you or insult you. or I mean, you have this deep feeling of being rejected. Um, and But yet, uh, uh, Jesus says that even if all of those things have happened, you are accepted and you are blessed because God accepts you. Yeah. Wow. And God is, I mean, he's king. Yeah. So he he decides worth. He decides value. He is the one who can provide. Mm. That's powerful, man. Mm-hmm. I have one more scripture here, James 2, 5. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, listen. God has picked the poor of this world to become unfathomably rich in faith and ultimately to inherit the kingdom which he has pledged to those who love him. And how powerful is that phrase, has, God has, has picked. picked. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing that is like there's intention behind that. 
Yeah. You know, um, that if you are, whether it's, you know, spiritual poverty or like physical poverty, that you were, you are still intentionally selected. Right. Uh, by God, because mm-hmm. because God loves you. Yeah, He's picked. And I I kind of like how you said uh, how you added in spiritual poverty. Yeah, because you'd almost think, well, that is someone who doesn't love God. So why would He be picked? Right. But I think God sees what we can become and who we're becoming. Yeah. And He says, Hey, I still want you. Yeah. Um, and when you're at that moment, like everything is yours. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a good time uh, just to encourage people as we close. Um, you know, if you have been in a place where, you know, you can relate to any of what we talked about, uh, today, um, I would say just be reminded that you are, you're chosen, that you are valued, that you are accepted mm-hmm. and that you belong. Yeah. To become rich in faith and ultimately inherit the kingdom. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. That's real good. Mm-hmm. All right. So we can go ahead and. In this, I'd like yeah. to thank all of you who are who are listening. And if you want to connect with us, we are on s- social media. Uh, all of Terrence's social media. Uh, what are they called? When <laughs> what, are, what are those handles? Oh yeah, handles. All handles yeah, yeah. are uh, I'm Terrence Lester. Yeah, that's I M T E R E N C E L E S T E R, and you're uh, at. Johnny Taylor 95. 95 which we established last <laughs> week was the year that I was born but yeah. I, I mean in my defense it was I was yeah. literally born in the first month of, okay of okay. Uh, 95 I'm gonna try so to get like, him to take that off right like I kind of relate <laughs> as a 94 okay yeah oh, I don't 94 or yeah yeah or yeah. yeah but also uh you can look us up uh at love beyond walls which is the organization uh, that I get a chance to serve in. And uh, we started a museum. It's called Dignity Museum. Uh, all of the handles across social media, that's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, is uh, at Dignity Museum. And you can look us up on lovebeyondwalls.org. .org. I still have it. I didn't change it. I copied and pasted from okay. last week, and yeah. it still says .com in our notes. But it yeah. is an organization, not a company, apparently. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, but uh, it's been a, a great episode, and uh, I hope you guys come back for episode two. Mm-hmm. Yep, we will see y'all next week. Next week. All right.